Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about chelation therapy. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. All right, Steve, are you ready for this one? I am. Good, because this week we're going to be talking about chelation therapy. So let's start off with just a real simple explanation for people about what chelation therapy is and what it does. All right. Well, chelation therapy is a medical procedure that involves the intravenous or into a vein administration of a synthetic amino acid that's actually a food preservative called EDTA. The word chelation comes from the Greek word chile, which means claw. So the chelating agent, uh, again, EDTA, once it enters the bloodstream is able to form a claw-like bond to metals like lead or minerals like calcium forming a new harmless compound called a chelate, which the body can then eliminate safely through the urine. So basically what chelation does is it takes heavy metals or minerals that could potentially be harmful or toxic to the body and neutralizes them by locking onto them with EDTA and then they're filtered through the kidneys and then eliminated via the urine. All right, good. So now that you've explained what chelation therapy is and what it does, what are the two main reasons for somebody to get chelation therapy? Well, the primary reason for doing chelation therapy is to remove excess heavy metals from the blood like lead, mercury, aluminum, iron, arsenic, copper, and nickel. It's also used to bind up calcium deposits de that develop in the arteries. And specific conditions that chelation therapy has been used for include autism, Alzheimer's disease, chronic kidney disease, multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, and cardiovascular disease. Okay. Now, how does heavy metal toxicity get to be determined that somebody has it? Well, first of all, let's define what a heavy metal is. I can tell you that has nothing to do with listening to Metallica, ACDC, or Led Zeppelin. You knew that was coming, right? I actually didn't because I don't think much about that, but it makes perfect sense that it would have. Okay. So really, a heavy metal is a metallic element that has a high relative density compared to water and is toxic or poisonous even at low concentrations. Now, to detect heavy metal toxicity, you know, I mean, you can start with a questionnaire that points you in the direction of potential exposure to heavy metals. But in order to objectively determine if heavy metals are present and how much there are, specific tests need to be ordered. There are actually four standard tests for determining heavy metal toxicity. And, you know, we originally went over these in our detoxification podcast, number 23. 
That's true. The only one though that I remember is hair analysis. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one that I'll get to in a second because we're going to start with the blood test. Okay. And this is routinely ordered for metals toxicity, but it has its limitations because it only shows a very acute and extreme metal poisoning. This test really should only be done to check for acute exposure to heavy metals because cellular damage can occur at much lower levels than what's measured in this blood test. Hmm. Uh, urine tests uh, can also be done. This is recommended when checking to see how well toxic metals are being eliminated after taking a metal detox agent like DMSA. You know, so this test is not typically done in the beginning to identify the presence of heavy metals. Okay. There's also the fecal test, also known as the poop test, and this is recommended when trying to determine actual exposure to toxic heavy metals as opposed to the amount of accumulation of them in the body's tissues, which is what a hair analysis is able to do. Right. Uh, since the primary natural route of eliminating many toxic metals is through the feces, this test is excellent at showing what metals are consumed in a diet and eliminated through the intestines. Okay. And finally, the hair analysis, which again is the best test to determine current and accumulative exposure of which heavy metals are being deposited in the tissues of the body, including the brain. Uh, even the U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention both recognize it as a reliable and valuable tool. And in my practice, out of the four tests, this is by far the one that I've run most often on myself as well as my patients. Uh, it's pretty cost effective at under $100 and also gives accurate measurements of minerals stored in body tissues too. Okay. So it's a very valid test and people can request it if they are interested or they can ask you to find out if it's something that they should get done. Yes. Now, what kind of issues can come because of heavy metal toxicity? Well, instead of boring everyone with the details of specific issues of each of the various heavy metals, mm -hmm. I thought it would be best to just give a broad summary of what toxic heavy metal exposure can do to the body. Good idea. All right. So acute heavy metal uh, exposure is rare, and it's when you get a high dose at one time. So examples of this would be a chemical accident in a factory or a child swallowing a toy containing lead. So acute exposure symptoms normally come on quickly and include feeling confused, experiencing numbness, abdominal pain, diarrhea, feeling sick and throwing up, and even passing out. Uh, this is definitely an emergency and is pretty rare, but if it does occur, then obviously you would want to call your doctor or your local poison control center right away. Right. Now, chronic heavy metal exposure and toxicity, on the other hand, is actually a pretty common occurrence. Uh, this is due to low-dose exposure over a long period of time where you eventually become sick after enough metals have built up in the body. Uh, symptoms generally come on slowly, and some of the more common ones include headaches, weakness and tiredness, achy joints and muscles, and constipation. Chronic uh, heavy metal exposure can cause serious damage all over the body and has been associated with heart abnormalities such as cardiomyopathy, which is a heart muscle abnormality, or an abnormal heartbeat, also known as an arrhythmia. It can also lead to anemia, kidney damage, liver damage, memory loss, changes in behavior, horizontal lines on the nails. That's really interesting. Mm. 
malformed bones in children or weakened bones, and miscarriage or premature labor in pregnant women. So there's quite a list of effects. That's right. And another very important point about heavy metals is knowing all the primary sources of them ranging from food, medications, household products, and industrial sources. The reason for this is that knowing all these sources allows an individual to uh, prevent and limit exposure to them. So, you know, if you want to study a pretty thorough list of the various sources of the primary heavy metals, then go back and listen to podcast number 23 on detoxification and also refer to the podcast notes for that episode because they contain a whole page that goes over the different ways that toxic heavy metals can get into the body. Uh, And also, if you go back to episode 25 on personal care products and cleaning products, we cover heavy metals and other important toxins that you should know about. Plus, you know, in our podcast notes, we have a link to the Environmental Working Group app uh, that you can get for free for your smartphone, which will allow you to scan the barcodes of many of the products that you, you know, that you use uh, and see if they contain heavy metals or other potentially toxic chemicals. That's correct. Now, we talked about heavy metals, and you also mentioned calcium buildup in the arteries. What are the effects that chelation therapy is supposed to have regarding the calcium buildup in the arteries? Well, you know, I'd like to start out by going over the fact that there are several theories that support claims that chelation therapy successfully treats heart disease and other disorders. Okay. In addition to heavy metals. Um, You know, unfortunately, none of them have any accepted scientific studies that back them up. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that chelation therapy is only FDA approved for eliminating heavy metals, but, you know, not for handling calcium deposits associated with arterial sclerosis or other cardiovascular disorders, as well as other medical conditions that I mentioned earlier, such as autism, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, and Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. So the theories are, number one, that EDTA chelation therapy might directly remove calcium found in fatty plaques that block arteries resulting in the breakup of these plaques. Uh, Number two, chelation therapy may stimulate the release of a hormone that can cause calcium to be removed from plaques or cause a lowering of cholesterol levels. And three, that uh, chelation therapy may reduce the damaging effects of oxygen ions, also known as oxidation or oxidative stress, on the walls of the blood vessels, which could reduce inflammation in the arteries and improve blood vessel function. So as you can see, the first two theories have to do with calcium buildup in the blood vessels. And the third one has to do with inflammation, which we've covered in the past and you know, is associated with nine of the top 10 causes of death, including cardiovascular disease, which is number one on the list. Correct. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the book yet, but there was a new book out this spring by Dr. Gundry, who wrote The Plant Paradox, and it's called The Longevity Paradox. And in there, he talks again in great detail about inflammation, but he's talking more about it in relation to aging and the processes of aging and how to stop them or reverse them or, you know, live as long as possible. And inflammation is very key to all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have to get that book and read it because I'm sure we're going to do a podcast on that in the future. Yeah, it would actually be, well, it wouldn't be a bad idea because it's something that people want to know about. Yes. Now, you know, I did find a study that was funded by the National Institutes of Health and published in 2014 in 
current opinion in cardiology where researchers evaluated the effectiveness and safety of EDTA-based chelation therapy in 1,708 people who had experienced a heart attack. It was called TACT, T-A-C-T, which stands for Trial to Assess Chelation Therapy. So the researchers found that chelation therapy was associated with a significant reduction in the risk of cardiovascular issues such as stroke and hospitalization for angina. The study's authors also found chelation therapy appeared to have an even greater benefit in people with diabetes. And they also noted that chelation therapy may improve health in heart attack patients by reducing oxidation or oxidative stress, which correlates with theory number three, which we just went over. Right. So now there's an ongoing follow-up study to this called TAC2, which is being performed only on patients with diabetes and a prior heart attack to see if the apparent benefit from the original TAC study can be confirmed. The results of TAC2 will help the FDA determine whether EDTA chelation therapy should be approved to reduce the risk of further cardiovascular events in patients who have had both coronary artery disease and diabetes. So the bottom line is that, you know, this could result in chelation therapy finally being FDA approved for treating cardiovascular disease. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Now that we've discussed that, let's take a look at how chelation therapy is done. Uh, how is it actually done? And is there any difference when you're doing it for something like removing heavy metals as opposed to trying to reduce the calcium buildup? All right. Well, you know, IV chelation therapy is an outpatient procedure typically done at an alternative medical doctor's facility. It's usually done over a period of 28 months in which the first 30 IV infusions, IV standing for intravenous, mm -hmm. uh, they're administered weekly. And then, you know, the last 10 are delivered biweekly. Uh, each treatment is done slowly over approximately three hours in which you sit in a recliner and just relax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm just going to summarize the protocol of one of the top experts in IV chelation therapy, Dr. Elmer Cranston. Okay. He talks about his three essential ingredients that he uses, and they are one, either normal saline or a mixture of 5% dextrose in water. Dextrose is an artificial sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, two, of course, a specific form of EDTA called disodium EDTA. Mm -hmm. And three, up to 200 milligrams of the local anesthetic lidocaine, which prevents pain at the infusion site. Uh, additional lidocaine may be added during the infusion if needed for discomfort along with moist heat. He's found that other practitioners sometimes add vitamin C to the mixture when giving EDTA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would think that that would be a good idea since vitamin C is an excellent antioxidant. But when it mixes with EDTA, it can actually create the opposite effect and increase oxidation. So vitamin C should be given at a separate time. Well, it's just like with the thing on immunizations and vaccinations and other things and specific drugs, having something that does X and then something else that does Y, it might sound really good to combine them because then you get X and Y together in the same package, kind of like, was it Reese's Cups with chocolate and peanut butter? Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is when you mix things together, sometimes they will magnify or amplify or counter the other thing, like you're saying. So 
you know, you have to be cautious about that. And it's good that he looks at that and describes that. That's a good point. And also, you know, while we're on the subject of vitamins and minerals, he recommends that supplemental minerals and trace elements are best avoided within 12 hours before or after an EDTA infusion. Probably because it would draw that out of the system anyway and make it worthless. Yeah. He also stressed that basically all of the published clinical trials achieved excellent results using only the three essential ingredients that he uses. He found that no additional improvement has ever been reported from adding other ingredients, and he's observed over the years that the overall benefit from chelation therapy was reduced when more ingredients were added. Hmm. You know, now we're talking strictly about the IV therapy itself on the day of the treatment because adding back vitamins and minerals through daily supplementation is a standard practice and should be done to handle potential deficiencies that can occur. Correct. Now, as far as the difference between removing the various metals or calcium, it's real difficult to tailor a program that focuses more on removing calcium versus heavy metals. But there are various protocols that more advanced practitioners follow. And they primarily have to do with adding in various nutrients, primarily as daily oral supplements. Some may also do a separate IV drip with the powerful antioxidant glutathione to help the liver detox metals better, and also recommended as an oral or topical supplement to be taken daily. Others may add in other nutrients via the IV, such as vitamins and minerals that may be lost uh, during the uh, chelation process, but on a separate day from the chelation treatment. Right. And then, of course, typically oral, you know, vitamin and mineral supplements will also be recommended to be taken daily in between treatments. And obviously, if an individual has low blood calcium levels before starting chelation therapy, then they'll be given higher doses of daily calcium supplements. And perhaps uh, for IV chelation, the doctor might opt to use calcium disodium EDTA as opposed to just disodium EDTA during their treatments. Okay. All right. So this is a procedure that needs to be done a specific way to get the exact result, and it needs somebody who knows what they're doing. Yes. Now, what is the difference between oral chelation and intravenous chelation? Because you were talking mainly about the procedure for intravenous, but there is also oral chelation. So what is the difference and when is each one used? All right. Yeah, there's a big difference between the two. Um, intravenous chelation using EDTA has FDA approval for heavy metal detoxification and, again, potentially in the future for certain forms of cardiovascular disease, whereas the only form of oral chelation that is FDA approved is a substance called DMSA, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. IV chelation is also heavily monitored and is delivered in a clinical setting, whereas oral chelation involves taking over-the-counter supplements that can be purchased almost anywhere and taken with or without professional assistance. Uh, IV chelation is also significantly more expensive at between $75 and $125 a treatment, covering usually a minimum of 40 treatments with no insurance reimbursement, whereas oral chelation can run under $100 a month for all the supplements utilized for it. Now, you know, we've already gone over how intravenous chelation is done and what it's used for, so now let's look at oral chelation. Okay. You know, there are many herbs and nutrients that can be taken as supplements to chelate out heavy metals and calcium, but none of them have been proven to work as well as intravenous EDTA. The problem with natural remedies is that unlike drugs, 
they're non-patentable. So no major studies have been undertaken to prove just how effective they might be, you know, largely because there's really no financial incentive to do them on top of the fact that medical studies cost a ton of money to perform. That's right. So let's look at some of the top nutrients used for orochelation that, that have some background from natural practitioners that claim that they work quite well. Okay. So believe it or not, EDTA can also be taken as an oral supplement. You know, I've recommended it for patients for many years. Uh, I used to carry VasaCleanse from Suncoast BioResearch, but the FDA cracked down on some of the ingredients, probably, you know, because it works so well. <laughs> yeah, that does uh, happen. Yeah. So now we carry another product that still contains pH-sensitive EDTA along with many other nutrients, and it's called CardioFlow, and it's also made by Suncoast BioResearch. Okay. Now, I mentioned earlier that I would talk about the FDA-approved substance for oral chelation called DMSA, so let's look at that one now. All right. Uh, DMSA is a medication used for treating lead poisoning, especially in children, but it's also been found to remove mercury and arsenic. Uh, it's primarily prescribed as a medication, but I've also seen it as an over-the-counter supplement. So you might be able to find it uh, online, or I, I doubt you'll find it at a health food store. You'll probably find it online somewhere. I have a question for you about that. Mm -hmm. And you might note this down and do some research on it so we can bring it up later. But one of the things in vaccinations that's so much of a problem is the mercury. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if in states like California, where people are basically forced to vaccinate their children heavily, if getting the children some of this DMSA as a supplement when they're getting the vaccinations might help. Yeah. And, you know, there's other natural things we're going to go over in a second that also help with mercury too. So DMSA is a little tough to get, mm -hmm. but they might be able to do some of these others that we're going to mention. Okay. So let's move then on to chlorella. This is a blue-green algae, and it's an excellent natural chelator. I know this for a fact, because if you remember a few years ago, I started using a skin moisturizer from Aveeno and didn't know that it contained aluminum. Right. Yeah, you know, not, all, not long after I started using it, I became very forgetful. I mean, I kept forgetting where I put my keys. I would forget to bring my cell phone with me to work. And numerous other things that I normally never experienced. And it was, you know, pretty distressing. Right. So when I was able to figure out the source, I got on some chlorella. And within a very short time, I was back to my normal self again. That's great. Yeah. You see, unfortunately, aluminum can cross the blood-brain barrier. And some research has shown that high aluminum levels in the brain are associated with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Right. So moving on, some of the top herbs that have been shown to have chelating ability include dandelion, ground ivy, which is specifically good for removing lead, and yellow dock, which can selectively remove aluminum. You know, I mentioned earlier that the antioxidant glutathione can be administered intravenously, separately from a standard EDTA chelation treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, glutathione is also an excellent oral supplement, but it's best absorbed in other forms, in particular, N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC. Right. And speaking of glutathione, Dr. Joseph Mercola has an outstanding article on detoxifying heavy metals out of the body with the use of oral chelation supplements. It's called The Three Pillars of Heavy Metal Detoxification. 
and we can leave a link for it in our podcast notes because anyone who is considering doing oral chelation therapy at home, especially without professional assistance, should absolutely read this article. Great. So in summary, the three pillars of detoxification are one, to cleanse and clear your gastrointestinal tract of metals and toxins using a silica-based supplement that he recommends called intestinal metal detox, Mm -hmm. uh, which should be done with a practitioner. Or instead, you can use chlorella plus charcoal and clay, which bind to all of the other toxins. He also recommends the herbs dandelion and goldenrod for added liver and kidney support, plus burdock, which along with dandelion helps to clear your blood. And of course, to also drink extra water to flush the toxins out. Right. Now, the second thing is to increase glutathione levels by either using NAC or a specific formulation of glutathione called liposomal glutathione. And three, to turn on detox genes in the body by supplementing with R-lipoic acid as opposed to alpha-lipoic acid. Polyphenols, which are healthy natural compounds primarily found in fruits and vegetables. Sulfur-based compounds from garlic and onions, as well as cruciferous vegetables, which include cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and kale. And the Ayurvedic herb, Haritaki. That's very good information. It's good to know. Mm -hmm. Now, why is it important to monitor the kidneys and their health fairly regularly during chelation therapy? Well, it's important because uh, intravenous chelation therapy has the potential of causing kidney impairment if not properly monitored. I mean, it's a rare occurrence, but occasionally a patient will be unpredictably susceptible to developing kidney toxicity from EDTA. And the most susceptible are chronically ill elderly people and basically anyone who is weak, frail, or bedridden. Kidney function tests need to be performed not only before initiating chelation therapy, but also periodically during the course of treatment, especially if it's being performed two or more times per week. So in addition to a 24-hour urinary creatinine clearance test, chelation therapy patients also need a standard urinalysis and their blood levels of creatinine checked. Uh, Urinalysis and blood levels of creatinine should also be periodically performed during the course of chelation therapy. Now, other important tests that should be performed prior to starting chelation therapy include a CBC, which is a complete blood count, fasting blood sugar, blood levels of calcium and albumin, and a recent EKG for patients that have atherosclerotic disease. Lab tests that should be performed periodically during the course of chelation therapy include fasting blood sugar and INR studies, which are blood clotting studies for people who are taking anticoagulant or anti-clotting medications. Uh, Additional assessments that need to be performed before each infusion include blood pressure, pulse, and weight. Mm -hmm. And after each infusion, blood pressure and pulse need to be checked again. Yeah, it's... I mean, this is not a surgical procedure, and it can be performed by somebody who's a naturopath or some type of physician that has that type of training, but it's still a rigorous type of procedure that can have effects on the body that can be a problem if it's not monitored and done correctly. Now, is chelation therapy a replacement for standard medical treatment of cardiovascular disease? No, absolutely not. 
it's considered complementary medicine because it complements standard medical care. Okay. So for example, if someone has high blood pressure due to their arteries being clogged and or calcified, they may also need to be on hypertension medication if the pressure is in a dangerously high range during this time. Right. And also, you know, if they have angina, which is chest pain or discomfort due to blocked coronary arteries, which are the main arteries supplying blood and oxygen to the heart, then an individual may also need to be on nitroglycerin so that they don't have a heart attack. Right. I mean, there's a whole list of other potentially life-threatening cardiovascular conditions that may need to be addressed with standard medical care, you know, in addition to cleaning out the blood vessels with chelation. Yeah, correct. All right. Now, are there any times when chelation therapy would not be a valid alternative? Yes. Uh, there are situations and conditions which would make chelation therapy an invalid alternative due to safety concerns. Okay. What would those things be? Well, let's look at these, you know, the most obvious uh, contraindications. And, you know, we just looked at this, but pretty much first and foremost, if the person has poor kidney function, then they absolutely should not be receiving chelation therapy. Okay. For example, somebody who's on dialysis mm -hmm. or has high blood levels of creatinine, or if their 24-hour urine creatinine clearance tests for kidney function are less than 30 milliliters per minute they basically need to be ruled out from doing this. Okay. So other deal breakers include uh, uncontrolled congestive heart failure, hypocalcemia, which is low blood calcium, which makes sense since chelation can pull out calcium from the blood and the blood vessels. Right. Significant liver dysfunction, and that also makes sense because the liver is the primary filter of the blood and works with the kidneys, which are the final blood filter. Right. Active tuberculosis within one year. An allergy to EDTA or other ingredients used in this therapy, mm -hmm. and pregnancy or breastfeeding. Hmm. Okay. Very good to know. Yep. Now we've covered quite a bit on this topic. Is there anything else you'd like to say about it before we end? No, that should do it. Okay, good. Well, it's an interesting topic. I think a lot of people probably will never have to get chelation therapy, but there are going to be people in their lives that may need to get something like that, which will be really helpful if they know about it and they understand that that is an option in these different situations. And especially for people who have exposure to heavy metals in the work they do or the work they've done or from some of the household cleaners that they use. So this is important to know. And it kind of goes along with that episode we did on detoxification. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about a family and not a really good family. It's kind of like the Adams family. It's that you don't necessarily want them coming to live with you. And this is a family of conditions known as arthritis. We're going to be talking about the various different arthritises because there is more than one kind. And people do experience this, but there's a lot of information that is false about it or missing or things that people just don't know as far as alternatives in ways that they can help alleviate the symptoms, improve the condition, or avoid it. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. All right. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week 
And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>